Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Isaiah chapter 58. For those of you who may be visiting with us for the first time, or if... uh, You normally come here, but it's been a a while since you've been here. We're in a series called We Want to Be. And it's about what, at least I hope, we want to be as a church. And we're deep into this series. We started out saying we want to be friendly. We want to be positive. We want to be merciful. Then we said we want to be humble. Then we said, we want to be family. We also said, we want to be cutting edge. And then last week we said, we want to be a magnet for people. And today we're going uh, uh, into the next chapter of of, uh, this We Want to Be series. I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 58, beginning with verse 5. We'll read down through the first half of verse 9. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry or to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be on your rear guard. Then... You will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Then turn with me to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. I want to read one verse here in Luke chapter 6. That will be verse 38. Luke chapter 6 verse 38. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then finally, turn with me deeper into the New Testament to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 where we will read verses 6 and 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. The Apostle Paul says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap also sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves 
a cheerful giver. Last week, Business Insider magazine listed the 20 most generous people on earth. The 20 most generous people on earth. I read the article because I wanted to see if any of you came on that list. Uh, there were some names that I, with whom I was familiar. Uh, at number 16 was uh, Ted Turner. You all know Ted. Raise your hand. You know Ted. Uh, Ted Turner was number 16. Ted Turner has made lifetime donations to charity of $1.2 billion against a net worth of $2.1 billion. He's given over half of his net worth to a charity. And in doing so, uh, Ted Turner came in at number 16 on the list. Also on the list uh, were Pierre Amidyar. Raise your hand if you know Pierre. Pierre Amidyar. Nobody knows Pierre Amidyar. Uh, I bet you've done business with him. He's the founder of eBay. Raise your hand if you do anything, have ever done anything on eBay. All right, so you've, you've done business with Pierre, Mr. Omidyar. Um, Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, is on the list of the 20 most generous people on earth. Warren Buffett of uh, Berkshire Hathaway is on the list of uh, the 20 most generous people. And, of course, Bill Gates, the co-founder of Microsoft, is at the top of the list. He is, according to Business Insider, the most generous person on planet Earth, Bill Gates. Bill Gates is worth $72.7 billion, with a B, dollars. $72.7 billion. Uh, at $72.7 billion in financial worth, Bill Gates, as an individual is the 37th wealthiest country on earth, just all by himself. He is the 37th wealthiest country on earth. Now, what that means is there are literally hundreds of nations on earth whose financial resources are fewer than Bill Gates all by his lonesome. Bill, that's what I call him, Bill. Bill, if he took his $72.7 billion net worth, and if you give it a 6% interest rate, then every second, every second of his day is worth $114.17. Every second of his day, is worth $114.17. Now, I have a $100 bill in my hand. And if, if Bill Gates... Don't you rush up here. <laughs> if Bill Gates had, were, were coming out of Walmart and he looked down on the asphalt and he saw a $100 bill, get this, it would not pay Bill Gates to reach down and get the $100 bill. It would cost him... Because see, every second of his, of his worth, every second of his day is worth $114.17. So if he takes three seconds to reach down, that's going to take me a little bit longer. So if he, if, if he takes three seconds to pick up a $100 bill, it has cost him almost $350. It's a loss for him. So I called Bill yesterday and I said, Bill, if you come out of Walmart and you see a $100 bill on the ad, don't pick it up. Let me pick it up. Let me pick it up. 
Because it pays me to pick it up. Bill Gates. He's 60 year old, years old this year. 60 years old. If we assume that Bill Gates will live to be 90 years old, he would have to spend, get this, he would have to spend $6 million a day every day between now and age 90 to exhaust his wealth. $6 million a day. That means that he could, he could lose one day's money and pay off our entire building project. Does anybody have Bill Gates' phone number, really? If he got no rate of return, no interest rate on his return, and if the economy worldwide totally collapsed so that there were no more interest rates and he's not making any more money, yet he would still need to spend $6 million every day to exhaust his fortune between now and age 90. 30 years from now. Get this. At $72.7 billion net worth, if Bill Gates were to give every person on the planet a $10 bill, there are 7.2 billion people on the planet, if Bill Gates gave everybody a $10 bill, he would still be worth, after giving everybody a $10 bill, he'd still be worth $2.26 billion with a B dollars. Isn't that amazing? He and his wife, Melinda, have made a commitment, as have a lot of of billionaires, I'm told. They have made a commitment to give away 95% of their wealth by the time they die. Of course, 95% of their wealth, when they, the the remaining 5% is going to be a whole lot more than, than most of us preachers make in 10 lifetimes, right? And yet he's agreed to give 95% percent of his wealth back. Is he generous? Is he, as Business Insider says, the most generous person on the planet? Andrew Carnegie was was probably the first notable uh, wealthy person who set the standard for giving back. Here's what Andrew Carnegie said. He says, no man can become rich without himself enriching others. The man who dies rich, Carnegie says, dies disgraced. Who is generous? Uh, Ted Turner gives 53% of his fortune to charity, has already and will give more. In fact, he has agreed also to give over 90% of, of his wealth away by the time he dies. But there was someone in the Gospels one time, Jesus was sitting in uh, a worship service in the temple. This is an amazing thing to me every time I think about it. But Jesus was sitting in the temple with his disciples. They were sitting there and it was at that part of the worship service where they received the offering, you know. And Jesus, Jesus is being a busybody, sticking his nose into what people are giving. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that make you just mad at Jesus? No. He's looking at what people are giving. And he notices that wealthy people give a portion of their income in there. But he he notices this one little woman who comes in and she puts in two copper coins. And he turns to his disciples and he says, you see that woman right there, what she gave? 
And the disciples said, yeah, we see her. And he says, that woman has given more than anybody else. All the rest of the people gave a percentage of their wealth into the offering. But she, in her poverty, has given everything she has. Who's more generous? That unnamed lady who gave everything she had, which only amounted to two cents, or Bill Gates, who will end up giving 95%. Who's more generous? I guess it depends on whether, you, whether we define generosity by how much we give or how much we have left. Both of them really are generous. I think it's interesting that Jesus is interested in what we put in the offering plate. You know, uh, who is generous? And the point of this message today is we want to be generous. Of all the things we want to be, we also want to be generous. In fact, in the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, the concept of grace is tied to the concept of generosity. They are so closely tied that grace and generosity in their word origins are from not just the same family, they grew up in the same household. Grace And generosity are inseparable, so much so that someone has made this statement. Grace is made visible when the people of God are generous people. Generous people. I want to say a few things about this idea of we want to be generous as it it comes from the teachings in the Scriptures. First of all, I want to say that one of the effects of following Jesus is radical generosity. You see, you can't be a devoted, dedicated father, uh, follower of Jesus and be stingy all at the same time. Those are oxymorons. If we are following Jesus, we're also generous people. You say, well, I'm not, uh, it's not my nature to be generous. You're not living. If you're a Christian and Jesus is in your heart and you're following him, it's not your nature that governs you. It's the nature of Christ that governs you. And if the nature of Christ governs you, you will naturally be a generous person. You remember uh, Luke chapter 19? I know you remember it. You heard it many times in vacation Bible school and Sunday school. Jesus is ready to come through a place called Jericho and... Uh, There is a man there whose name is Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Yeah, I know some of you have sung that song in the shower. The Bible says in Luke 19 that, that Zacchaeus was a Jewish man who had partnered with the Roman government to collect taxes. And what that meant was that he had agreed with the Roman government. They had hired him to collect taxes from his Jewish citizens. And so here's what the Roman government would say. It was like they would give him uh, some sort of papyrus, a sheet of paper, and they would list all the people whose households he was to go and collect taxes. And they'd say, now, from uh, this household we want this much money, from this household we need this much money. And there was a certain geographical area uh, for which Zacchaeus was responsible and there was a certain amount of money that uh, he, he was responsible for collecting from each household. But they would say to him, they'd say, now, all we want from these people is this amount of money. But don't show them this piece of paper. You can charge them anything you want. We take this amount, anything over and above this amount that you collect, you get to keep. And so Zacchaeus 
charged a lot more money than he had to to these fellow Jewish citizens, and he made a lot of money. And people hated Zacchaeus. They didn't just dislike him, they hated him. He had zero friends, and, and although he was wealthy, he, w- he, was, he had this huge crater in his soul, he was empty, and he heard that Jesus was coming, and so he climbs up in a tree in order to see Jesus when he comes through. And you remember when Jesus comes through, he stops under the tree, he looks up, and he says, Zacchaeus, you need to come down, I'm going to eat with you today. And of course he does. And as a result, Zacchaeus turns his life over to Jesus. He becomes a devoted follower of Jesus. And the first thing he does, we're talking about radical generosity being a result of receiving Christ. The first thing Zacchaeus does, he says, he says uh, Lord, all the folks that I have taken money from, I'm going to restore to them. Now get this, he didn't say, I'm going to restore to them what I have taken. He said, I'm going to restore to them four times what I've taken. You see, receiving Jesus for Zacchaeus resulted in him becoming radically generous. Receiving Jesus for all of us. When we receive Jesus or if later in life we get away from him and we rededicate our lives to him, whatever the case is, receiving or rededicating, it ought to result in radical generosity on our part. Number two, Jesus, we know he was generous, but Jesus was generous because God, his heavenly father, is generous. Do you, uh, do you memorize scripture, anybody? Uh, probably the most memorized scripture in the Old Testament is, what would, would anybody guess, what would it be? 23rd Psalm, probably. What would be the most memorized verse in the New Testament? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he, what? He gave. For God so loved the world that he gave, he gave a hundred dollar bill, right? Is that it? Is that it? Huh? No. Um, for God so loved the world that he gave, wait a minute, wait, wait. I have 54 cents and a used tube of chapstick. No. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son which was by far the very best that God had. God's characteristic, His foundational character includes the attribute of generosity. God is a giving God, and Jesus, being God in the flesh, the Son of God, is also generous. And that's why every time we turn around in the Gospels, He is showing kindness, He's being nice, He, he, is, he is giving to people who, many of whom, most of whom, all of whom, do not deserve his generosity. He's a giving Lord. We see Jesus' generosity in the words that he said in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. The apostles quoted Jesus saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus' generosity is shown in his words. His generosity is shown in the people that he complimented for their generosity, like the woman that he saw in the worship service who gave everything she had, even though it was only two copper coins. Generosity is at the base of Jesus' life. Number three, Jesus calls you and me to live lives of astonishing, to be astonishingly generous. I'll get it out. He wants us to be astonishingly generous. Listen to this. 
This is from Matthew chapter 5. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said this. He said, if anybody wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile with them, go with them too. Give to the one who asks of you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. He's saying, be generous. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says this. He says, give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus calls us to live lives of astonishing generosity. And then fourth, generosity is or should be a central activity in the followers of Christ. And why? To reveal God to our world. We've made a huge mistake in Christianity uh, in, in this world, especially in the United States, I think, because the unchurched world as they're looking at us, and we're, we're claiming that we are showing Jesus to the world, all they see to us, for the most part, is what I would call uh, fundamentalist bigotry and hatred. When, if we were kinder, if we were nicer, if we were more compassionate, if we were more generous, they could see the real Jesus, who is a person of generosity. That didn't mean that he compromised on sin or condoned immoral uh, behavior, but it meant that when Jesus, when people saw Jesus, the first thing they saw in him was not rigidity, it was compassion and generosity. Generosity ought to be characteristic of the followers of Christ. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Christian believers at the church at Corinth. He said, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, but not reluctantly, not under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. In fact, the Apostle Paul bragged upon the church at Macedonia, the church at Philippi, When in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says this, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, they still gave. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were were owners of land or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds to the apostles. Are you generous? Our church, by the way, and this was the case long before I came. I can't lay credit to any of this, claim credit. Our church has been a generous church for a long time. If you take our, our general budget, 12% of our budget goes to support missionaries around the world through our cooperative program. On top of that, we usually give anywhere from ten dollars to $15,000 a year each Christmas to missionaries serving abroad. We give... Uh, anywhere from four dollars to $6,000 a year to missionaries serving in North America. We give several thousand dollars to, to uh, uh, either provide food for people who are hungry and homeless in our community. Uh, in fact, the line item on our budget for people who have benevolent needs in our community, that line item is already wiped out. We've been so generous with people. This is a generous church. When I look at uh, what we've given to, our, to the children's home as a church, we're always in the top 20 in our state. When I look at what we've given to our uh, local Fairburn Baptist Association missions program, 
Even though we're, we're in an association with 40 other churches, most of them, many of them, are, are sometimes four and five times the size of ours. We, every month, are number one in giving to that missions program. Generous church. Which means you're generous. But not everybody. In 2013, we did a survey of our congregation. No names. We're not interested in names. But we did a survey of our congregation to find out what percentage of our congregation gives to what percentage of our budget. And here's what we found out. 20%, this was in 2013, and 20% of our average attenders give 80% of our offering every year. 20% give 80%. That's no surprise. Another 30% of our congregation gave the remaining 20% of our offering. So that means that 50% of us are giving 100% of our offering. That's not a surprise either. But here's the shocker. And it is shocking to me. 50% of the people who attend our church on a regular basis give absolutely nothing in the course of a year. Not a red cent. Now, of that 50% who gave nothing, there are some who can't give anything. I mean, they're either out of a job or they're in a job, but the paycheck runs out before the bills come in. At the end of every month, they can't give. And if you can't give, you shouldn't give. But of that 50% of our church over a, regular, over a, a year's time who give nothing, I'm going to guess that 75% of those folks could give something. And they don't give anything. I'm not talking about the folks who can't give something. I'm talking about the folks who give nothing, but they could. And that means that some of those folks are here today. I don't know who it is. But if it's you... I beg you to ask yourself this question. Do I see myself as generous? Because if I could give and I didn't give, I couldn't see myself as generous. I just couldn't. Not if I could give and didn't give. If I were to ask you today, how many of you are committed Christians? How many of you love the Lord and you're committed to following Him? I'm sure that most everybody would raise your hand. But let me, let me challenge you to test your commitment. Okay? If you, look at, if you look at your checkbook and your credit card account and all the different financial systems you use. If you looked at all those, and, and if in, those, in that checkbook it's not clear that the Lord is important to you by your giving, then there's a chance that He's not important to you at all. We want to be generous. We want to be generous in helping people. We want to be generous in our offerings. We want to be generous, yes, in our capital campaign. 
that's coming up, but we want to be generous people. Are you generous? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, nobody has been more generous to every one of us than you have. Your generosity continues. You're the God who never stops giving. You're the Lord who never stops loving. You're the God who never runs out of compassion for people. And you are a God who has given to all of us very liberally. And we're so grateful for your generosity. And you call us to be characterized by generosity as well. Lord, we love you. And you're important to us. But I pray that you'd help us to show it through our actions. And in particular today through our giving. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.